0: Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Stable Connections the podcast. Today we chat with Mary McCormick, who talks to us about knowing vaulting would be a part of her life since the young age of seven, going to the world equestrian games, and what she's doing now. Hope you enjoy! Stable Connections is sponsored by Goatlandia Farm Animal Sanctuary with locations in Santa Rosa. Sebastopol, and now Goatlandia Kitchen in Sebastopol, providing healthy, organic, plant based food to the community. Through animal rescue and advocacy, Goatlandia is helping animals, people, and the planet. Please visit goatlandia.org or email info at goatlandia.org for more information. Stable Connections is sponsored by Fab Co. Fabco is a skincare studio offering a range of skincare and beauty services. Owner Liz Moulet is a licensed cosmetologist with a passion for skincare. Fabco offers facials catered to each client and uses nature based products. Fabco also offers waxing as well as lash and brow tinting and laminating for that makeup look without having to do your makeup every day. Liz's goal is to have her clients looking and feeling their best. Check out FABCO's website at phabco.org.
1: So I've been obsessed with horses for as long as I can remember. And my parents understandably tried to steer me in different directions. Like let's do gymnastics or ballet or soccer or something that is not gonna cost all of our finances. Um, But I found my way by meeting a girl at school who had horses. And I was pretty crafty, even at a young age. She was, like, seven years old. And I'm like, oh, Talked to her about her horses, asked what she was into. And she told me, I stand up on horses while they're moving. And I'm not kidding you. Like, I knew at that moment at seven years old, like, this is going to be what I do for the rest of my life. I'm going to get off. I'm going to get on the bus with this kid. And I'm going to go to her house and get off at her house. And then call my mom and ask for permission. (laughs) And I did. And she was like, she was busy working and she's like, what are you doing? Fine, just be careful. And I told her we were just gonna play with horses. And then I told the girl's mom that yes, my mom said it's okay for me to do vaulting. So I did and I loved it. There was no turning back. Horses have been in my life ever since and I've just developed into having vaulting be kind of the basis of everything that I do.
0: And you've never steered into like hunter jumpers or anything else?
1: I have dabbled in different things. In an effort, I love horses. I mean, vaulting is my main thing, but I just, I've wanted to be a really well-rounded horse person. So in high school, I lived in Tennessee and I did some, like, barrel racing and flag racing and pole bending and then... What else have I done? Dressage is a big foundation of vaulting for training the horses. Mm-hmm. So I have pushed myself into doing dressage. I have a saddle. I take lessons. I've done some training level shows. Sounds but like I,
0: you don't necessarily enjoy it.
1: I don't. <laughs> I, okay, so dressage <laughs> is super rewarding when you start feeling it and getting it and making a difference. But, like, I it's not... No. It's not easy. It's not easy. <laughs> and yeah. um, it's not... I hate saying because it's not true. At a high level, when you're good at it, it is exciting, and you can do these amazing things. But for me, that's I'm still in the grind process of dressage. Like I have to put in the work, and but hopefully, I have a nice horse now. So hopefully, maybe one day
0: it'll be <laughs> exciting. Yeah. And so, why Tennessee for high school?
1: So my dad actually moved out to Tennessee. He was in the music business and transitioned from working for rock and roll bands in the Bay Area. He got older and decided to work for Country Singers in Nashville.
0: Less party scene?
1: Less party scene, (laughs) definitely. Um, And just more low-key tour schedules. And he moved out there and I thought, yeehaw! like, wow, more land. We can actually have a horse of our own. So the first horse I owned lived in a pasture of a house that we rented there. And that was just, it was so cool for me because, again, obsessed with horses. Anything and everything, I want to take care of them all the time. I want to do all the things. Yeah, and then
0: after high school, did you come back here?
1: So how I got back to California is I got back in... I'd taken a hiatus from vaulting because there weren't any vaulting clubs in Tennessee.
0: Doesn't sound like Tennessee is probably a place for vaulting. No. It's
1: getting there. There's a few clubs now, but back in the late 90s, there was nothing. So I got into cheerleading because of my vaulting history and did all the cowgirl stuff. But I really missed it. I really like, I've after I graduated high school, I was like, this is not right. I've got to find a way to get vaulting back. So I used a bareback pad and fashioned it into a surcingle on my little quarter horse gelding and just started vaulting on him. Hmm. And then reconnected with some people that I'd been friends with as a kid, got back into actually competing, and then was stuck again with, there's no clubs out here. and kind of want to like try going to worlds and seeing what I can do. So I get a call from vaulting legend Sydney Frankel who has had a vaulting club at her home and has sponsored many high-level vaulters over the years. And where is she? She's in Woodside, California. Okay. So she calls me up and I'm already like, is this really the Sydney Frankel talking to me on the phone? She's like, I hear that you want to get back into vaulting. And she knew me as a kid, so she kind of knew I had, like, a little bit of that it factor, Mm -hmm. and that I was really driven. And she said, I have a proposition for you. Come live with me. You can vault on my horse and coach my club. And I quit everything. I had a full-time job. I was running a vaulting club. I had lots of... I had a life in Tennessee. I packed my truck. I put my quarter horse in a little two-horse stock trailer. I was 20 years old, and we drove across the country. So you drove? I drove oh, by man. myself with my horse. This is before like GPS, and I had a cell phone, but it was super map. unreliable. <laughs> yeah, I had a Rand McNally Atlas, and I'd picked my route. And I, I was just really in then and now, whatever it takes to be excellent at this and to just let myself have the full opportunity that I can.
0: And why do you think you kind of mentioned it maybe, but why do you think she chose you?
1: I don't really know. I mean, that maybe she heard about me kind of needing an opportunity, but I feel like a lot of it was really cosmic. Like it just, it lined up.
0: Yeah. And so what exactly do you feel it is about vaulting that you missed when you didn't have it?
1: All of it. It's such a cool way to have a relationship with a horse. And I guess that was it. Like that I had my horse and I loved my horse, and we did cool things, but you can really create magic when you have a relationship with a vaulting horse. I can't do on the ground what I can do on top of a horse. They give you literal horsepower. They lift you, they carry you, and the bond that you develop with them, so they trust you in return, to, to like, they're tolerating you doing these wild, crazy tricks on top of their backs, performing on the world stage together, like, there was just nothing at that level that was going to satisfy my desire for that connection with them.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like part of that is the, like, danger factor of it as well? The, like, I trust think between so. you? Yeah.
1: yeah, that there's, like, it's it's high stakes. You need them to be there for you, and they need to trust that you're going to, like, go for it and, and be there for them in return. Yeah. And it's just really, it's cool.
0: <laughs> Do you remember... The first trick you learned? I don't know if it's called a trick. Move?
1: Exercise? Yeah. I do vividly remember my first time mounting on the horse by myself. And that's like,
0: running, grabbing the... Yeah, you the... run
1: out, you grab onto the handles. The horse, this this horse, I was little. She was big. She's a big Belgian mare named Kim.
0: Usually they're pretty big,
1: right? Usually, yeah. Yeah. It helps. Yeah. Good carry. You. So and the
0: slow movement. Yes. Yeah. And
1: the lots of real estate on a big flat back mm-hmm. is definitely valuable. So she was, she's trotting along, and I had to jump up and grab the handles, and I remember my legs swinging around and banging into hers and just fighting for my life to get up on that horse. How old were you? I guess I was probably eight then. And man, like, I was obsessed. I would go home and draw little pictures for my vaulting coaches, practice on the couches. Like, yeah. So I do. I remember that pretty yeah, vividly. It was very cool. <laughs> Do you remember your
0: first fall? We fall off a lot. Yeah.
1: yeah, and it's part of the like the training that I actually think is so valuable, and I wish more riders had. Mm-hmm. We are really normal about coming off the horse, and we know usually before it happens. Like, oh, this is not working out. It is time to quickly plan a dismount and... Mm, tuck and roll. Tuck and roll, baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, just Is that something
0: all. you learned in lessons is how to fall?
1: Yes. Yeah. So we practice a lot of jumping off the horse, jumping off the barrel, if, how to land and tuck and roll. Yeah. And just to make that really like, it's going to happen. So.
0: 100%. Do you ever wear, in practice, do you ever wear like helmets or anything? Nope. Even as a kid?
1: No. That's a really important factor for the safety of vaulting is that accidents happen, of course, but you would not put a kid or a green vaulter on a horse that's not really seasoned and reliable. Okay, And then you have to make sure that you're not near anything that they could fall off into that would cause a head injury. Managing the footing is really important. And we found that wearing a helmet can really hinder your balance. And then there's the risk of like, what if it gets caught in the equipment? So we've... It's tough because people, by nature, see you on a horse without a helmet and feel nervous and then they see you doing tricks, so Mm -hmm. we're pretty well versed in explaining why it's statistically the safest sport and why we don't wear helmets. Yeah. If I'm on a really green horse that I think might get away from the lunger, I'll put a helmet on and just practice like sitting there and holding onto the handles.
0: And so with vaulting, you're always with a lunger, correct? And so it's not really a sport you can practice on your own. No. In that
1: way. It's challenging.
0: Are there any ways to practice it on your own? I guess on a standing, like a barrel? Yep. (laughs) Is that how you do it? So we have
1: stationary barrels, just like it sounds. Two big drums welded together with handles on top. Mm -hmm. And then there is a really cool invention that's been about for the past few years called a movie barrel. And it's high tech. It's shaped like a horse. It moves like a horse. They've even developed some places in Germany where it goes around on a circle like a horse. Oh, wow. So that's rad. Like definitely more opportunities for practicing the exercises without using the horses.
0: Yeah. And so when did it feel like you got the hang of vaulting? Is there like a specific moment
1: or time? I was talented at vaulting because I was like a natural born monkey and was very brave. So I feel like at the level I was practicing and competing that I always had it. Mm. And I was doing trot vaulting and that was, you learn more difficult exercises, but it just always, maybe it's because I, I'm i thinking like if I were watching videos of myself, I'd probably be horrified, <laughs> but because I loved it so much, it never felt like it was a struggle. It was like, I love this. This is what I'm meant to do. Do you think part of
0: that is because you started so young as yes, well? Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Kind of that muscle memory of it yes. all. Are you naturally flexible? I was not. Not. Okay.
1: No. i I am now after thirty some odd years of making it my life. Yep. I had to work for my monkey ability was always there and my obsession with horses, but learning how to dance and learning how to be stretchy and even learning gymnastics, that was stuff that I learned through the years of vaulting training.
0: Yeah, is with vaulting, is there a lot of workouts outside of being on the horse that are beneficial? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So There's a ton of cross-training that is necessary, especially if you're going to follow an elite track, like I like to call it, if you really want to be successful competing and go through the levels. There's, like, the fitness elements of cardio and endurance and strength training and core and flexibility. And then the elements of we're doing, like, dance performances. So if you're not artistic, you have to learn how to be artistic Mm -hmm. and maybe taking ballet classes.
0: Yeah. Making it look flowy and not just figure like
1: Exactly. <laughs> and making it a, a pleasant experience for an audience, you know, interacting with them and engaging with your, with your people.
0: Yeah. And I know that sometimes vaulting, you can be the only person and then mm-hmm. there can be groups. What yes. did you kind of more go into?
1: I did it all as a youngster. I had a girl that I did pot de deux with. They used to just call it pairs that how to do is a pair of two.
0: Okay, and you're both on one horse.
1: Both on one horse. Two people on one horse, doing a routine, and then I did individuals, of course, where you vault by yourself, and you do different classes, and then they call it squad. Now we used to call it team, which is the group of vaulters. Six people, not all on the horse together, but you do- Simultaneous. Yeah, and you do different like um, series in the team freestyle where there's two people on the horse at one time and sometimes three people on the horse at one time. And I used to love that. As I got more serious about my individuals, I definitely needed to take the focus away. (laughs) So
0: after high school, 20 years old, came back and worked for her. Yes,
1: I lived in Sydney's house and coached her club, Pacific Coast Vaulters. My horse was a vaulting horse there. And I had the once in a lifetime, I'm trying not to cry, opportunity to train and compete with her legendary horse, Sir Anthony Van Dyke.
0: Okay, and what was so profound about that experience?
1: He was a rock star in the competition. But he was tricky. Like, he was full of games that he would play with you. You Even until he, he died last year at 32 years mm. old, had to have a stud chain on him. He will run away from you. He will look dead broke. And just, he had that, like, rascal personality. Mm-hmm. And he played with me a lot as a vaulter, too.
0: While you were doing your stuff? Yep. I ate the dirt
1: a lot, (laughs) but I had, he was going to make me earn it. And I did. And so the pinnacle of our time together was competing at the World Equestrian Games in 2010. And he was one of the only horses without earplugs, no bonnet, no prep, no magnesium, no nothing. And he was nervous when we're standing in the tunnel packed house where the finals to go in the last round of the freestyle. But he was just a professional. Like he knew that it counted. And after all those years of giving me hell, he didn't put a hoof wrong. It was cool. like, yeah, and, yeah. So that was just—he took me to a whole nother level and taught me what it took to have that relationship with the horse and the commitment and the tenacity to be like, okay, I understand where you're coming from, and I'm here to show you that I'm worthy of your. You're cantering of your time <laughs> on the circle, like give it to me. Yeah.
0: Did you know that at the time, or it's hindsight that you realized all that?
1: I did not know it at the time. I mean, there were a lot of hard days. <laughs> like, what am I doing out here? I'm like not good enough to be on this horse. I'm getting my ass kicked. Like, this is just. There's a lot of struggle. Last time.
0: Yeah. So when did it occur to you that the World Equestrian Games was like the goal?
1: Right after I moved out there. So the next one was going to be actually in 2006. And my plan was to try out with Van Dyke and Sydney was going to fly him to Germany for me to compete with. So we go through season number one, I moved from getting like 10th overall to being in the top three pretty consistently. Like that was an amazing reward. Like, all right, don't give up because right when it gets hard is when things start to come together. However, then, Devastation. He tore a suspensory ligament in 2006, at the beginning of the year. And it started out, we are optimistic, we could rehab him. That did not happen. So I had to borrow a horse in Europe. Which
0: is usually what happens, right? Usually
1: what happens. But it's still like, there's such a difference between competing with your partner and going over there and having six weeks to develop all the things with the lunger, the horse, the space... And so it was, I competed in Aachen. I thought it was pretty successful. I had one go that was atrocious and Mm -hmm. then one go that was just absolutely awesome, everything I wanted. And I didn't make the second round, but I showed them who I was. And that for me was like, okay, get ready, buckle up. When I come back, like there's not gonna be any stopping us. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, like over the next four years, Van Dyke made a full recovery. We started competing together again. And that was really like the The highlight and pinnacle of our career was going into Kentucky together and being able after all of that, like disappointment and questioning what, what I was doing with my life, like being able to come back and finish like that with him was a gift.
0: Yeah. And so what do you have to do exactly to qualify
1: for the world of Mm -hmm. Games? You have to be the top three in the country. Every four years they have it in a different place. Okay. so like 2006 was Germany. I went in 2010 in kentucky 2014 was in france
0: oh wow okay
1: 2018 was back in america and north carolina okay so you have to you compete throughout the season in selection trial events back then it was a little less complicated you went to certain competitions and they tallied you up at the end of the period and whoever was in the top position got to go represent the us
0: Okay. it's a little
1: more complicated now they have like observation events that people come to and the selectors the people who choose the vaulters will observe you at these events. Mm. It still typically ends up being the top three scoring vaulters throughout the season but the selectors do have some control over choosing people that they feel like would be a better fit for the the squad.
0: Okay and going into competitions like that what are your feelings involved?
1: So that's that's really there's a lot of different ways to feel and I to I did work with a sports psychologist for years on yeah. having different feelings throughout the season. So beginning of the season, we're as prepared as we can be, but we're unattached from the outcome. Because who knows when you go to compete? Like, So we're going to get feedback mm-hmm. from the first competition, and we're going to learn a lot. And you progress throughout the season with improving yourself and getting more quality out of your performance and more connection with your horse, more trust with your horse, so that you're able to peak at that last competition of the year
0: mm-hmm. which
1: if you're really lucky it's going to be the world games with your own horse right and I was I the three final legs that I went to so 2006 borrowed a horse and then 2010 14 and 18 I had my own
0: yeah yeah I think that that would make such a huge difference to have your own even stride length like oh yeah the way the horse breathes the way
1: the horse <laughs> breathes I just yeah. like, for me just that comfort of a known partner yeah It's really, there's a ton of pressure at the world games, but I would spend time in their stalls, putting my headphones on, meditating with them. Like you can do that with a horse that you're borrowing, but it's not the same. You just, you're, it's undefinable, the connection that you get with these animals over such a long time.
0: Yeah. And, uh, let's see, was there anything before a competition that you would do in terms of like breathing exercises or listening to music to pump yourself up or anything like that?
1: Absolutely. And the bigger the competition, the farther in advance the planning starts. It would do a lot of visualizing and mental training, going through my performance in my head, setting an intention for what I wanted to accomplish. I'm a little bit of a woo-woo fan, so I would share that intention with my horse really regularly. I would send him pictures about, like, how I would feel, and with that, what that would look like on my face, and the confidence that I had in him or her. You know, this horse was a mare. Mm. And then the day, the night before the competition, lots of meditation, emotional regulation, checking in: How do I feel? It's okay to feel this way. How do I want to feel? How do I know I can feel? And the day of, yes, a lot of preparation with. Breathing exercises, grounding exercises, grounding exercises with the horse. A full physical warm up of running with a pre-designated playlist music. <laughs> I know is going to get me in the zone, but not not too excited because we got to hurt yourself. regular. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not. I want to show up in the barn and my horse be like, "Whoa, girl! We gave you that too much, much coffee." Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yep. Definitely.
1: It adjusts, but would keep the same regularity to that kind of structure. Yeah. Lots of prep.
0: So, you did it, you said, for four different times. Yes. And did you do the um, single, like by yourself each yes. time? Never with a teammate.
1: Never with a team.
0: And was that just by choice?
1: Yeah, I got really picky as I started getting more elite. I wanted, to, I wanted to work hard when I said whatever it takes. Like, sometimes it's hard to get a group of six people on the same wavelength of what that means, whatever it takes. Yeah, it's cool. It's your choice and it's your path. But for me, it was like, there is no vacation. There is no this is all I want to do. And it felt sounds harsh, but it felt like a little including other people in that opened my journey up to being slowed down. Yeah, like there were a lot of people as a part of my journey, lungers, trainers, supporters, but like the person going to the gym every single day and seeing a physio and doing ballet like that was me doing it all. I did also share the horse that I competed with in 2014 with another individual, and we ended up having a beautiful team. Like, it was something in the beginning I didn't think was going to work because I had that mindset of, like, this is my path. Mm -hmm. Her name is also Mary, so it was funny. We started out, and (laughs) she felt the same way about me. Like, you know, who's this girl coming to vault on my horse? Like a competition kind of A little bit. a little bit. We were, like, standoffish towards each other, respectful. But that we trained together on this beautiful horse palatine for three years and then competed together. Like She's my best friend in the whole world now. Mm. Like my total ride or die soul sister. Cool. So something happened in that period together where we started really helping each other and just sharing experiences and sharing the passion for vaulting. But yeah, otherwise it was a very, like, I want to do this individually and I want to be in charge of all the things related to the horse walk him clean him be in charge of the care
0: yeah are you an only child
1: i have an older sister
0: mm, okay so i feel like that <laughs> mentality is a bit of like only child mm-hmm. s- not syndrome but like yeah experience a
1: characteristic of it
0: yeah yeah i could see that are you and the young you are young i'm seven
1: years younger
0: ah which i think
1: makes it i did have a lot of those solo journeys mm-hmm. as a child yeah. It's like getting into my psychology now. I'm like, maybe I was already set up for that because of <laughs> the way that, yeah, my childhood was. I did, I was the youngest in the group of our family by far. So mm-hmm. I was a little bit of a loner. Yeah. And I enjoyed spending time with animals. Everyone's yeah. hanging out at the party. You'll find me with a dog. It's funny. Like, I guess just part of who we are starts to come out as we get older.
0: Well, yeah, and I feel like younger children, whether it's youngest of two or three or more... A lot of times there's this, like, we need to get it done mm-hmm. or like prove ourselves, yeah. yeah. or you know, because we're the youngest, so right? People think you can't do it, so exactly. you're gonna like prove them wrong. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, that's so right on. And maybe <laughs> like as we get older, I can see that being relevant as like, I needed to prove it to myself. Like, yep. I'm capable of anything that I set my mind to. Yeah. And I'm going to work like a dog to get it done. Especially
0: with that competitiveness <laughs> yeah. in you as well. Which of those four experiences at WEG stands out the most?
1: That's impossible to say because they, they, I feel like, have marked the chapters in my life. And they're all, because of the relationship with the horses specifically, but the people who surrounded them, just like wildly significant and meaningful in my life. Um, and very different. Like the first one was a real I
0: learning would. experience. <laughs> yeah,
1: but yeah. also like, I was so proud of myself for for getting it done. and I was the underdog massively at the first one. So to kind of come out and again prove to myself, like even with everything stacked against me and minimal support, I can do this.
0: Yeah. Why do you feel like you were the underdog?
1: I was the least experienced internationally and definitely the least funded. Mm. So it's a struggle in horse sports when you're not wealthy. When I asked my friends about what I should talk about in this, they did bring that up, that like that it, it was something that I I really struggled financially to pull it all off. So I didn't own my own horse over there and I didn't have the same access to training that others did. And I hate it. When I say that, it's like, poor me, not poor me, because it really, like, it toughened me up and it taught me a lot of things that are more essential than money. Your attitude, your enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. making yourself an asset to the people who are going to help you.
0: And problem solve. I think a lot of times when money can just be thrown at something... You're not actually learning how to problem solve, mm-hmm. but if you have to... Even if it's a GoFundMe, that's still problem solving. Totally. Or, you know, do garage sales or do whatever it takes to Absolutely. get there. Having that skill of problem solving.
1: It's a ton of character building. Yeah. And it comes through in a lot of different areas. So for that for that one and then having Van Dyke at the Kentucky World Games was just like... I, I guess maybe if I had to pick one, that would be the one because it was so extraordinary in that moment. And it was the first time that I'd had that massive success. Like We won the final freestyle, We're mm. the best in the world. Final to go in the final round. You couldn't have written it better. It was just like,
0: ooh! yeah.
1: And then in 2014, it stood out for a different reason. I had Mary Garrett with me and I was better. I was technically better than I'd been working for four more years on improving myself, working with a sports psychologist, And Palatine was actually a better quality animal than Van Dyck, He had a better canter. And so that just being able to go there and like having it up level a little bit. And it was in Normandy, France, it was an incredible venue. So that was what dreams are made of.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's huge. And where was the last one?
1: The final one was at Tryon, North Carolina. And that was special because by then it was like, I'd had an ACL surgery. I didn't know if I could still do this. And I'd found this horse. I was in the circus at the time. It's a whole other thing. But working <laughs> for the circus. And we needed a circus horse. So we bought a horse from another circus. Little 15 three-hand. She might be 16-hand. Percher on mare. And she brought me back to life. That horse gave me the confidence to do crazy things again. And I was like, damn, I still got it. Let's go to WEG and people thought I had lost my mind. She is a Percheron. She is not a warm blood. Her quality of canner is never going to be what the fancy warm bloods have, and people were, like, kind of pissed about it when I showed up to compete on her, and I had some, sounds dramatic, but I had some threats in the middle of the season. Like, the selectors will not send you if you want to take her to the World Equestrian Games. Oh, wow. And I came back, I freaked at first, and then I came back with I Dare You. Okay? Try it don't send me because you're discriminating against my horse who has gotten me into this position to be qualified for the world games. And they backed off, Mm -hmm. but it was like, it was a bit of a, like, I had to fight for what I believed in. I believe in this horse. I believe we can do it. And she was spectacular at the world games. She was just absolutely incredible. And in the final round, she actually scored, my goal was to get her a 7. We were always in the 6 horse score range. Is it out of 10? Yes. Okay. And it was, it was going to be a stretch to get her a 7. But the horse score is not just fancy canner. It's like obedience, circle size, regularity, bridge of engagement, consistency. consistency yeah. All the things you would think that would be important. And she crushes it on all levels except that she's not fancy. And in that final round, I never cry on the kiss and cry, but I did this time. That mare scored an 8.3.
0: You never cry on the kiss and cry. The kiss
1: and cry. is like they bring you to the kiss and cry after your go. Okay. And they announce your scores. It's like what you see on TV they for the Olympics. They call it kiss and cry? They call it kiss and cry.
0: Yeah. Is it because <laughs> most people cry when yeah, they're Yeah, you're happening. supposed to you kiss, kiss and, your
1: and like, oh, so celebrate. And then you cry. But I think it's so lame that I'm like, I'll go up there and I'll hug my people and show gratitude. But they said 8.3 and I, just, I had to cover my mouth. I, I was weeping. Like, I can't believe. You're like, all of you. All you haters. <laughs> Seriously. I have said that. That's how it felt. Yeah. But on the flip side, what was so beautiful about that is there were a lot of people who were in my my shoes supporting our venture. Like, hey, I've got a backyard draft horse that I've done everything I can to bring along to the absolute best of their ability don't tell me my horse is trash Mm-mm. okay like and so that was really empowering for a lot of people watching our journey and that moment yeah it was it's like what's up guys like harris <laughs> just scored an 8.3 away drop the mic my work is done right? <laughs> that's it
0: yeah that's really cool yeah it sounds like each experience was really very different yes. so i do want to hear about the circus situation okay so when did you do that and <laughs> um, what was it the circus, uh,
1: who doesn't dream of doing the circus? So, I, Sidney Frankel's daughter, Susan Frankel, had a friendship with a judge, this is a long story, I'll try to try. had a friendship with a judge who used to be in the circus.
0: What circus is it?
1: Do you you know? know, like, it wasn't something you'd know of as like Ringling, so this okay. is the Zope family. Okay. The Zamperla, Zope, bareback riding family. And they performed at many, they did, they were a part of Ringling, They perform some of them with Cavalia, but it's more of like a circus family who does their own productions. (laughs) So this judge used to perform with them and connected Susan to the Zamperla Zope family. They laid over at her farm when they were getting ready to go to Hawaii and I met them and was obsessed. They were showing me videos of them and they're like, oh wow, your vaulting is really nice. Maybe you'd like to work with us sometime. So 2015 comes around, and it's an off year, it's the year after WEG, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I want to go to the circus.
0: And you were probably early 20s, mid-20s? Oh man,
1: 2015, I was 32. Ah, okay. So I went and did a show with them at South Point, and did, it was very different. They use a smaller arena, their horses are different, but I did a vaulting act as part of the circus show. And then I got hired to go to Hawaii for a month that summer
0: and do more performances
1: with them. So that was just like, a hook has been baited and I love this. I still love competitive vaulting, but performing in front of a crowd like that with lights, it was so romantic. So fast forward to the end of 2016, I'd had this ACL issue, things were changing with the Frankel family and I kind of felt like I needed to do something else and i got the opportunity to move to florida and start doing performances out there so i did packed up my horse at the time did kind of the 180 of how i'd gotten to california drove across the country living out of a tiny horse trailer and yeah i had some amazing opportunities in florida performed at different circuses got to work for sylvia zerbini cool i don't know if you know of her but she's like one of the original creators of Cavalia, doing Liberty performances, and she's a goddess. Just breathing the air she breathes." and she loves vaulting, so it was really it was super cool.
0: So, do you remember your first time performing with the circus? Sure, and what do that was
1: like? I do. So, this was my first time performing with them was at the South Point Arena, and it's always special because of the horses. So, forgive me, my stories are redundant. But I originally was supposed to do my act on their more seasoned bareback horse. And he was sore. Like he's gonna make it through the show, but putting vaulting tack on him when he's not used to it and doing a hard vaulting act, it just didn't seem right. And they had a pretty green horse named Athenos, but almost no experience.
0: Cool. <laughs> but
1: I'm like, I can I trusted him. He was a really good-minded, good-hearted horse. And the cool thing about vaulting versus bareback riding is, is it is a little bit safer. Like, I'm not doing backflips, standing backflips on the horse. I can stay connected to the handles the whole time. At least, With
0: vaulting? Yes. With bareback, you're flipping off and landing on the ground? Bareback
1: is what it sounds like. There's nothing. nothing on top of the horse. They can use a pad, but there's no handles. And their routines are based around standing stuff. So, no handles. Standing back there, they do huge leaps, back flips on top of the horse, back handsprings on top of the horse. And that's why I fell in love with these people. I was like, what you do is so rad. And what I do is cool too, and it complements it, but just a in a less different sketchy. way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> less risk. So, for a green horse, the vaulting was actually like, awesome, let's get in there. My routines are really consistent. I'm trained to be very smooth and in harmony with the horse. So, I totally remember it. He was scared and he went out and started cantering, and I started vaulting, and he was like, okay, got this. And that just, you know, it's rewarding. And I'm like, yay, taking him on his maiden voyage, and he
0: crushed it. Yeah, and I feel like there's such a safety in also, I think you consider them handlers, the person lunging you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, they have a lot of control.
1: Yes. And that is a very underappreciated gig. Lungers, when they're doing a good job, in circus they call them runners, but in vaulting we call them lungers. When they're doing a great job, it is like dressage. It looks like they're not doing anything, mm-hmm. but there is so much happening energetically, physically with the connection of the hand and the position of the body. Like they're riding and controlling the horse from the ground.
0: Mm-hmm. Even with breath.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Even with where they're looking, where their focus is. Yeah. It's like such a finely nuanced art. And I am, I've been spoiled, I've had great lungers. So I'm picky about it, I like, I don't want to go on horses when I don't trust the lunger anymore. I just like, I can't get over it. (laughs) I'm like, it's cool that you're developing, but yeah. So I've been really, really fortunate. And in the circus too, like the guy who was lunging the horse for me, it was his horse. Mm. And he's a ninth generation equestrian performer. Okay. Who I just knew if anything is to go wrong, he's gonna handle it.
0: Yeah, like definitely. I'll be safe. Did you ever try Kozak?
1: Yeah, I did on accident. So <laughs> same, not like I was just falling off the horse and did it. So when we were in Hawaii, one of our performers sprained his ankle,
0: mm. and we
1: had to fill the act. And I'll tell you, I was like, I can do it. I can do some simple stuff. Um. It was terrifying. I remember trying to, like, control my movement the way I would for vaulting, and the horse was going so fast. It's like, forget your control. Like, you got to go in tempo, or you're going to be in the dirt.
0: Which uh, which trick did you do? So, for anyone that doesn't know what Kozak is, it's trick riding, but you're in a circle, Mm -hmm. essentially like a round pen. There is someone in the middle, usually. Yes. um, Also, like, guiding the horse, but... That's what Kozak is. Trick riding in a circle. In
1: a fast (laughs) circle.
0: Much faster than vaulting. The
1: faster, the better. So what did I do? I did like a fender, like where you get, it is a trick riding move on the outside of the circle there. You like got your foot in the stirrup and you get down low on the side of the horse. And then I did a vault where you like punch the ground and jump back up on the horse.
0: Like from the side, hanging off the side.
1: Like sitting and then take the leg over the top hit the ground and then Mm, arrive back astride. And forgive me if I'm butchering the names because I was totally like-
0: I'm not gonna know. (laughs) Okay.
1: And then a back balance where Mm. you like, you leg over and you're sideways, you're essentially like perpendicular to the horse's spine in kind of a hollow body position. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, even just getting out of that back to sitting. (laughs) What ab strength. <laughs> a lot of just like, you call it an R, a risk exercise in vaulting when something is just like freakishly difficult and scary. All of it was like that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry I ever, I wouldn't say I looked down on them, but I just didn't realize that what they did was dang, like super intense. Yeah. So that was my my one only experience. I did that for about a week. And like
0: practiced for a week and then performed went then and for did it. a
1: week no no you didn't it, even practice we did a practice the day of the show oh my god yeah and like, i mean again though these people have been doing it their whole life
0: but you haven't
1: i haven't but they could tell me like stop doing he said stop doing your vaulting shit you're gonna break your neck i'm like yeah. okay he said you need to kick your leg up and get your shoulder inside right away so it was cool, like, what an opportunity to to learn this art that people invest a lifetime in, like, in a hot second. Yeah. And, of course, it was just a dumbed-down version of what they can do to fill the space for the act, but really cool. It's still cool,
0: cool to the non, either the non-horse person or the horse person that has never done that. Yeah. It still looks awesome, even if to a trick rider, they're like, what is she doing? Yeah.
1: That's <laughs> lame.
0: <laughs> That's kidding stuff. It. Yeah.
1: Yes, and I did keep my toes pointed. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's the biggest thing. Well, for me, yes. Was there, because with, I guess with vaulting when you're at Weg and stuff, there is this, like, performance aspect of it, Mm -hmm. because with the circus, there is that as well. Absolutely. Did that ever feel, like, hard to
1: learn? Absolutely. I had almost forgotten about that. So when I first went to train for this, I went to Florida to train for the performances at South Point. And was kind of and I wanted it I was like don't you don't need to worry about my feelings if I'm doing something that looks dumb and collar at me and so the mother the matriarch of this circus family of four boys would be like <laughs> Italian lady like just telling me how it is your styling looks like shit you know you can't wear that don't put your hair on a ponytail like really on me and I was like okay the way you walk the way you salute the audience at the end, the way you turn to leave, all of that had to be learned. And I still have to admit, like, I still feel goofy doing it sometimes, but I'm super grateful just for that presentation experience. Yeah. And then, again, working with Sylvia after that, who is just... Everything she does looks gorgeous, the way she walks into the barn in the morning. so learning from her both her telling me how to do things and then just watching her and being like okay she's being an a, more than effective an amazing horse person and making it look so pleasant i'm gonna do that <laughs> i want to work be on that, that. i want to be that yeah. it's my idol
0: definitely uh let's see do you think you're a better teacher or performer
1: oh tough one I think I'm still pretty good at performing, but I I would like to think that I have a lot of, I guess it's a master's degree in vaulting. So a lot of experience to share, a lot of insight to give to aspiring vaulters. <laughs> and yeah, so that's tough, that's a toss up. And I, I guess I can't even say which one I enjoy more. Because performing is still really, really fun for me, but teaching and bringing people along is such a rewarding experience.
0: Mm -hmm. To Mm -hmm. see that really excited, like you've had that before, so to see someone else have that. So let's talk about kind of your teaching journey Mm -hmm. with all of that. So you said you started teaching when you went to Tennessee. You started having your own program Mm -hmm. and then taught a bit in Woodside. Yes. So what are some moments that stand out to you with teaching?
1: Some, oh man, there's a lot. It's been a long time that I've been teaching. I had my own club in Tennessee, coached in California. I've coached up through world championship team and individual levels. I'd say like in general, the biggest things that stand out are the kids that are like me that are like maybe a little bit, we're not underprivileged. I wasn't underprivileged, but we're not wealthy. So it's hard. You you're gonna have to make a lot of sacrifices to make this work. Mm -hmm. And being able to tell them like, you can do this and watching them come through that on the other side and then to like live a life the same that I have, that is definitely what stands out the most. Or maybe even just mentoring people through vaulting who have any kind of struggle, physical struggle, mental struggle and learning that like your struggles don't define you but they can be such a part of who you become Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I feel like that's something I try you know I want to teach you how to vault and be a good horse person but I want to teach you that and I've been able that's been incredibly rewarding seeing people grow up through the sport with that kind of experience
0: yeah has it been mostly kids
1: I've had some peers and I guess like um, the peer I'm thinking of, Kaylin Matozo. She to be Kaylin Noah, but she's married to another high-level vaulter now. Devin Matozo. Anyone who's listening and knows vaulting knows who these people are. <laughs> but Kaylin was 17 when I was 20. So I guess she was a kid, but she felt like a peer at mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. Yeah, I guess most most of the people that I've mentored have been younger than me. And then my we call ourselves the bridema- Bridesmaid Squad, my group of best friends that are also vaulters. And at some point or another, I was either like a mentor or a coach for them. And I am the oldest of the group, but they're, they're adults. <laughs> and then I guess the other thing that I want to talk about a little bit with my coaching journey was the gift that I had of being able to coach a junior squad in 2021, right after the pandemic and right after I'd had my daughter. This was such a, a bizarre time. We did a lot of Zoom lessons, a lot of virtual training, and this was a total, like, whatever-it-takes experience. These girls had no limits about what they would do to get to the world championships. And we were going for gold. They ended up winning a silver medal, which is still incredible. It was amazing. And they really came against all odds. The other coach that was really the head coach of the team wasn't able to go with us to Europe. And I had to take that on, which at the time felt like, I don't want it. I don't want that responsibility. (laughs) But you took it. But I took it. And they just, they met me. They were the best kids that you could ever have to coach. They worked so hard. And they believed in everything I taught them. And just to be able, like, I don't want to take credit for what they did, but to be able to shepherd them to that victory, Mm -hmm. that was amazing. That was definitely a standout moment of my coaching and teaching career.
0: Have there been multiple times of bringing students to WIG or that was the one time?
1: I took a team to not the... So every four years is the World Games and every other year from that, every even year is the World Championships. Okay. So I did take a team, to, a senior team to the World Championships in 2016. That was freaking difficult. I was supposed to be on that team. I blew my ACL doing something totally stupid. I had my leg in the loop, it wasn't even a dismount. But it was like something I'd been terrified of my entire career, right? No, but like, oh, the ACL, the ACL. So it was the first time in my whole life that I had to sit out a season. And mm. I was determined to have a good attitude. I'm still going to coach this team. I'm going to bring them along. It sucked. I mean, like they were great, but it was just so hard. Then we get to Europe, and we're doing a really hard freestyle. It's terrifying. Team can be just so scary to watch on a new horse. Mm-hmm. The horse bucks. One of the vaulters has their leg in the handle a weird way breaks his leg oh, no. we're down another man of course like whenever anybody gets hurt it's just so like scary and emotional so as a team you plan on going with six mm-hmm. you didn't go so there's five then we brought in someone else so
0: you bring in other people yeah. or you can still perform with four
1: no nope, you gotta have those six people oh wow and actually before me another one of my teammates <laughs> tore her acl it oh, was God. just like the year of in at the end, that feels like the whole point of that was just showing that we will continue. <laughs> we will keep going. Truck through the mud. We are going to truck through the mud. And for me, even personally, that was such a, like, I, I'm i not having any fun. This is hard work, but I'm not giving up.
0: Because it's also those other people that didn't get Absolutely. Like,
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. And
0: do you... With building a team, do you have backup people that you already know and they're still training but just as, like, a backup? Yes. Okay.
1: And so we were How just, How many like, did you
0: guys have? <laughs> oh, we
1: started <laughs> with two. Yeah. We ended up having to bring other people on board. Okay. Because the people who were injured were the highest level on the team. Oh, and shit. And not just our, like, our alternate backup person can't just step up and do this high-level standing basing and flips and no. stuff. So that was another soul-crushing thing. The alternate on the team that didn't get to compete, who had gone with us with the point of being the alternate.
0: They're and this
1: girl, you like, you are, but you're just not the right fit. And yeah. I, I love her. I love this girl. We're still dear friends. But having to see that heartbreak in her...
0: But they know...
1: They know, but it was still it's still hard. Still to hard. know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be like that's my spot. Why aren't you picking me? And me being like I would love to pick you, but I can't. So that like there's the high highs of coaching and then the the flip side is the only other time I took a team to a world championship was definitely the lowest. Mm. And I could sugarcoat it all day long and talk about the valuable or the invaluable things that we took away from that, but truth is, it was not fun and it was really hard and everybody fought and we did it like it was definitely an achievement to get through it but we made it (laughs) i could not wait to go home (laughs) my team finished and normally there's like this big after party and i was like i want to go to the hotel (laughs) take (laughs) bath and go home when's my flight (laughs) get me out of here (laughs)
0: yeah but at least you persevered
1: yes and those experiences like as a as an athlete as a human but as an athlete and especially as a horse person like you're gonna have those and you can't quit you can if you want that's your choice but that's for a lot of people when the greatness is just beginning like you're just you for some reason the universe thinks you needed that experience to become the person that you were meant to be so I do I'm not afraid to talk about how awful it was but I do feel like all of that stuff was was a part of my path part of my journey
0: yeah and it makes you stronger every time yes so, how do you feel like your students would explain your type of coaching?
1: <laughs> they all know I'm a little bit of a weirdo, but I think they, they would explain me, they would say about me that I am supportive, I am enthusiastic, I hope they say that I really care about the horses, because I preach that all the time, and that I've got their back, no matter what.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those are all good qualities. Do you think you're a tough coach?
1: Yes. If I'm tough, I like you and I <laughs> care about you. Mm-hmm. People can hire me for clinics and I'll put a filter on and make sure that I'm really encouraging because you don't know people well enough. You wanna make sure you give them a positive experience. Yeah. But for my kids, I'm incredibly encouraging. I'm really excited about what they're doing and they know that, but Don't give me a half effort and definitely don't pound on the horse. Yeah. Like, I'll be Scary Mary really quick. Scary Mary. (laughs) Even my 2021 squad that went to the Junior World Championships, we had a meeting after a particularly hard practice, and they were, like, a little bit teary-eyed. I'm like, you were scary. (laughs) I was like, okay, first of all, you haven't seen scary. That's just me being real with you. And why am I doing that? Because y'all told me you have these goals don't tell me that you want to go win the world championship and then show up with a subpar effort. I'm going to hold you accountable to that every single time. And we didn't have any trouble after that, but there was the initial like, wow, she just, but it's, I do think that you do, you need to hold people accountable and you have to practice discipline. It's hard.
0: Yeah. Especially in competition. Yes. Yeah. Do you have a lot of students that don't want to compete, but are just learning to learn?
1: I don't have students that are like that, but we, that is a really popular thing in vaulting and we encourage it, you know. And one of the cool things about vaulting I think is it's really accessible and people can do it for fun or they can do it to better their riding or their balance or their confidence.
0: Yeah. What makes it more accessible?
1: That you don't have to own your own horse and it's cheaper.
0: Is it cheaper it's like it's lessons cheaper. wise? Yes. Okay. And how long is a typical lesson for you at least?
1: that's a good question. It depends. So a typical vaulting practice is two to three hours. But if I were giving somebody a lesson, like I have had some people, there's some dressage riders at my barn who wanted to try out vaulting, like 45 minutes is a decent amount of time.
0: Yeah, I would think like never having vaulted before. (laughs) Two
1: Two hours. hours? Yeah. But the elite track vaulters, there's a lot of different elements and a lot of exercises and a lot of focus that we have to have and gotta take care of the horse so you know, I had a vault her out yesterday and she was here for three hours and she thought in the beginning she's like we're not gonna be that late are we And it ended up she had to leave right at five and was like
0: go for it I'll put the horse away sorry I kept you so long. If someone was interested in vaulting lessons mm-hmm. how do they get a hold of you?
1: I'm tough my plate is full so I don't need to promote myself unfortunately but vaulting lessons get them go out enjoy. Participate in the sport. We have a national website, Equestrian Vaulting USA. I think it's evusa.org. And the best way to get involved in vaulting would be to go to the website, look around in your area, and make contact with the club. If there isn't anybody local, you can do some research, investigating on Facebook to see if anybody around offers that kind of thing. That and makes then sense. if you find yourself on the elite track and you want to compete seriously, hit me up.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I noticed a few kind of language differences. So you mm-hmm. consider yourself a coach, not a trainer. And then you said club mm-hmm. and not
1: like a barn or yeah. a stable. Yes. So
0: do you know, is that just originating from the past? or I why think so. Do you think that is?
1: And it's funny because I have, because I've done some different, like, working for Hunter Jumper trainers, the language has been interchangeable. Like, I'll say I'm going to the vaulting show, and most Mm. people say competition. Mm. But I think it's just our own little community, vaulting club, vaulting coach. And they do, because we're USEF and FEI, so they do ask, like, who is the horse trainer on our entry for big competitions and then it gets a little bit weird like who's who's the trainer of this horse you don't actually have an official trainer usually in vaulting where as if you're going to a show with a hunter jumper you have your trainer and that's who you would list in that category
0: yeah did you over the years also train a lot of horses to be vaulting horses Mm -hmm. so you've done the people route you've done the self route you've done the horse route
1: yes and i love i've got a little bit of a system for exposing green horses to vaulting and i think i'm pretty good at it and i really enjoy it and it's cool to teach horses that are willing this is just such a rad thing horses that are willing and curious about a new gig i love being the liaison Mm. like i'm i'm really good at this you're going to be totally safe i'm going to move around on your body what do you think about that get some feedback from them now what do you think about this get some feedback And typically, if horses have experience, like they already know how to canter and they're balanced and they have a good brain, you can turn them into vaulting horses relatively quickly. Yep, and that's fun.
0: And vaulting, you are always going to the left?
1: Most of the time we go to the left. At FEI, you are allowed to compete to the right. I don't know anybody who would do that unless your horse had an issue and was better at cantering to the right. Um, And in national competitions for the U.S., we do require that the bronze and silver, those are like more advanced levels of canter individual vaulting, they have to do their compulsory exercises to the right.
0: What does that mean, compulsory
1: exercises? The compulsories are a set of standard exercises that are performed at every level. And so in your freestyle routine, you can be way more creative and choose your own exercises, but the compulsories are compulsory.
0: So in terms of, is one like, jumping off jumping back
1: on one is the mount when you get on the horse okay and then there's like a riding seat where you're sitting on the horse with your arms out so the compulsories are designed to like assess your fitness as a vaulter yeah. yeah so they want to see your how do you sit with the horse are you flexible do you have power and strength so they're very, like, they're simple exercises, but they're done to such a high level. I can't even
0: get on my horse from the, <laughs> I usually get on from the right. I can't get on from the left. Oh, wow. I just don't do it. Yeah. It's a thing.
1: That's why when you asked if it's easier to learn when you're a kid, absolutely. Because yeah. I'm 40 now, and I can still get on most horses, even bareback. And people are like, oh, my God. I'm like, yep. Thank you, vaulting." Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't learn it now, I'm 90% sure. Like, it would take a, a whole mission. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's so much muscle memory and flexibility, and neither of those I have. <laughs> so, Cool, well, let's go into the question. So, mm-hmm. what is something within the community that you wanna see evolve or change? And then, how can you help with that if you're not already?
1: So, this is a tough one, and I have two different ones, so I'll just go for That's it. Fine. I'm even sitting here now, like, which one do I pick? Something <laughs> that I really want to see change is that I want vaulters to be even better horse people than they already are and i think that at an elite level you should be requiring more of your vaulters they should be and a lot of people do this and i love it you should be riding that horse you should be taking him out and grazing him on sundays you should be responsible on a higher level for what this horse is having going on in his life
0: should even be, knowing what they eat yes, all of it. Yeah. yes
1: And you don't see that, and it kills me. So we went to Omaha last year for the World Cup finals. And I'm friends with a lot of the high-level vaulters we've been. We've rubbed shoulders at competitions for years and had experience. And I just out of curiosity, because I was lunging there this time. I wasn't vaulting. And they all thought that was just wild. Like, oh, you lunge? Of course I lunge. I'm a horse person. I'm a vaulter. I ride. Not very well, but I ride. I lunge. I can stay on. And I do it because... I'm a horse person first and then a vaulter, and I want that. So many people were like, oh, I mean, I guess I could ride a horse, but you don't like you don't care about developing that. And I think it's a missed opportunity. Like, I know that vaulters love horses and they care for their horses and they put the work in to be partners, but I want more. I want vaulters to be pushed to be better stewards for the horse on all levels. And like you should be able to ride your horse. You should be a part of that.
0: Yeah, it's also like if it's their specific horse, it's good for the horse to do something different sometimes Absolutely. too.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of people have own horses and still have other pe- like the horses in training, and I hate that. Yeah. You can have a trainer. Most of us do. I have a trainer. We're
0: an exercise rider. If you Absolutely. can't get out there all exactly. the time,
1: but you should be involved in that. And I love it. I have friends at a high level who own their horse and have done the path that I am. Like, we're not good at dressage, but we're taking lessons. We're doing this. Doing like, our best. Yeah. yeah. We're going to be, the horse is going to be a critical part of our development as an athlete.
0: Yeah. I well, want more of that. That's even in the dressage community, sometimes doing cavaletti work or in the Western world, going out on a trail instead of doing your barrels or, you know, yes. having that variety in, in any discipline. Yeah. yeah, Totally. Yeah, you do it for yourself. Got to do it for your horse, too.
1: So let's do it together.
0: Especially with the vaulting or the Kozak or whatever, where you're consistently going in a, like we talked about, left-handed circle. Yes. Being able to, like, go to the beach and, like, flat out run your horse straight. Yes. Like, I feel like that would be probably hard for some of those horses because they don't have that.
1: Yeah, but necessary. Necessary. That's how you can hurt a horse, is by overuse in a specific Mm -hmm. direction or Or way. Or
0: ourselves, (laughs) yes. And we can hurt
1: ourselves mentally, too.
0: Yep, definitely. Um, How are you creating that change?
1: Just leading by example.
0: Yeah.
1: Celebrating people who are doing it. Yep. Being part of a community with people who are doing that, and talking about our struggles and normalizing it, like love to joke with other vaulters about how ridiculous we feel when we have stirrups (laughs) and we're really trying our best but like it's okay to feel ridiculous keep going and like you're doing so awesome and reminding them that this is part of the discipline of equestrian sport but it's also a huge part of the reward and then I have for my own vaulters right now definitely feel like I'm leading by example I have a green horse who takes all of my life Like, he's just so, he's a lot. He needs a lot of groundwork, a lot of riding, a lot of lunging, a lot of trail walks, a lot of stretching, trailer loading practice, you name it. And I'm all in, totally committed and invested to this horse's development. And I hope they're proud of me, and I hope they can see that and be like, wow, you know. They at least do bring up, wow, remember two years ago when he couldn't even stand up cantering on the circle? And (laughs) look at him now, competing at the gold level at national championships. And they know that that wasn't, that didn't, it wasn't a fluke. Like, it's from real hard work and dedication.
0: Yeah, didn't just happen.
1: Right. (laughs) You're (laughs) working at it. (laughs) My gosh. Sometimes it's hard for me to even see his progress because I spend so much time with him every day. And I'll take a step back and look at videos and be like... (laughs) We did that, yeah. <laughs> like, what else can we do? Sky's yeah. the limit,
0: yeah. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Even as much as the people around you, whether they recognize it or not, as long as you do, yeah, too.
1: Totally, yeah. it's been in, in with all the experiences when they're really hard and you've got to dig deep and figure it out and like recruit what's necessary to make something happen, problem solve, problem. It feels good. Yeah. He was, my horse was amazing at the last competition and it's just, it's almost shocking to look at the video and be like, I did that. hmm Well, and it's
0: probably so much, not more rewarding, but there's a different type of reward. And I've talked about this with some jumpers that I've interviewed are different. It's different to win a competition on a horse that was already finished Still cool, still awesome. Just, right. But to win a competition on a horse that you started from ground zero or from a 3 foot fence and you worked them up to grand prix level or, you know, in this case a green horse that you worked up to going to WEG, like all of it. It's that's just a different type of reward.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's anything better that you could possibly have. Yeah. And the opportunity that we have to do that with these animals. What a beautiful life.
0: Yeah, cool. What was the, did you say both of the things you want to change?
1: Well, no, I didn't. So there's one more thing (laughs) that I would love to see a change in our vaulting community. So something that's really awesome about vaulting is how accessible it is at the grassroots level. I feel like we're a little bit stuck in the backyard sometimes that we really, I want to professionalize higher level vaulting. I want it to be normal that we invest in our horses and that we invest in getting to competitions for exposure and for experience for our kids. And we invest in sending our kids out to see physios or outside trainers and getting whatever whatever needs to be done for the vaulters and the horses. There's a lot of pushback from some clubs about how expensive things are and how we can't do these things because then it's not accessible, well then let's separate it. Let's keep vaulting accessible. And let's also like, normalize the fact that we're elite professionals here. We're not paid for it, but that's, that's the level that we're at. And it costs money and it takes time. And I, I would love to see more of that happening because I think that will elevate our sport to a whole nother level.
0: Yep. And is it mostly when investing? It sounds like it's mostly financially.
1: Yes. Yeah. But then you look at people like me, if you don't have the money, you got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. How can I do it? Yep. Can I do a work trade for dance lessons? Can I clean stalls for extra training time? I did that. I'd still do it. <laughs> That's yeah. how I can have a horse and do what I do you got to be a hustler and barter and figure a way out. I love
0: trading. That's like one of my favorite things is being able to trade. It's so much more awesome than a a money exchange.
1: Yes. (laughs) I'm right now helping a dressage trainer break one of her three-year-olds because I'm nimble and agile and can jump off if she gets to bucking. And in exchange, I'm going to get dressage lessons from this really – high-level woman that I have this a ton of respect for. And I'm like, okay, cool. Because when I started taking lessons, I was like, alright, full disclosure, I can't afford it. I just, I would love to. So I'm going to keep watching YouTube videos and like, do my own exercises, but now, when she asked if I could help her, I was like, absolutely. Like, <laughs> Yeehaw haw cowgirl. Put yep. me on that pony. Yeah. Uh, and that, it's cool. It's fun. It makes me feel like we can value each other, too.
0: Definitely. Yeah, So yeah, yeah the just investments,
1: Yes. The investment is just getting it done. Like if you don't have money to spend, spend time, spend creativity. But I want that at a high level. And I want, because so many of our vaulters are kids, like the parents have to recognize this as well. You know, your vaulter might have a ton of potential to compete at a world level, but they're not, they're not doing everything they can to be successful because we're stuck in this, like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to lease a horse or I don't want to pay that clinician. And I'm like, I get it. I'm like the poor kid here, but you still have to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's let's find a way to make it happen. So there is a shift for sure happening in vaulting. A positive shift. A positive shift. Awesome. Where people are realizing that like you, you have to pay and you have to sign up for the classes and you have to go and do the things. And I'm a part of a lot of programs who are pushing for that. And the cool thing about that is then I get paid too, as a clinician. I have felt a lot in my time teaching and doing clinics, I'm afraid to ask for a standard rate because mm. I don't want anybody to not be able to afford it. And what some people have helped me do because I'm, I want to make enough money that I can continue doing this.
0: Everything's getting more and more expensive, Everything is so too. so expensive. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I don't want to, like, quit and have to get a full-time accounting job. I want to keep doing it. And mm-hmm. I, would, I have the enthusiasm and the passion for it. So what I've started doing is, like, this is my rate. If there is any struggle, let me know. I wouldn't, because of how many people helped me, I would never not help somebody. But they have to ask for of, it. But they have to ask for it, just like I did. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing them any favors by being like, oh, 20 bucks for a, an hour long vaulting session is fine. It's not fine. No,
0: and you say it's even that simple. Like, so say it's $80 a lesson. You say, okay, if you can't afford the 80, what can you do to help or to yes. trade or yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome that you offer that. I think so that that's it's, really cool.
1: It's been a development of me getting there and like not being afraid to ask for it, but
0: yeah. I'm, it's knowing your worth, too.
1: <laughs> yes. Comes and with age much? as well. I yeah, <laughs> I'm 40 now. Like, you're going to pay me. <laughs> yeah. And if you can't, that's great. I'll still help you. But we have to have the discussion.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, awesome. And lastly, you get to ask me one question.
1: Okay. I was excited about this. Oh, Because good. you've worked with Warwick Schiller, or you've interviewed Warwick. I did, yeah. I love Warwick. I have followed him for years, and it was cool because our paths kind of paralleled with the getting more into mindfulness Hmm. and working with the horses for purpose what did you think about him tell me about your interview with Warwick
0: (laughs) it was cool it was actually really really random so I messaged him on Facebook and was like hey would you do this podcast he only lives three hour about three hours from here down in Hollister I think it Mm -hmm. is where his farm is messaged him I have no shame in messaging people and to be (laughs) real I don't really know who people are Like, I didn't know, I knew he was a clinician, but that's about it. Yeah. So I messaged him, would you interview with me? He said yes, but then we never picked a date, never really solidified anything. I went to a Mark Rashid clinic down, do you know who Mark Rashid is? So I went to a clinic down in Arroyo Grande, was at that clinic with my friend Alex, and I'm in the golf cart going to the bathroom, you have to like take a golf cart, the property's kind of... Huge. And so I'm in the golf cart and I hear someone say, so Warwick, like, what are you doing here? Or something. And I had no idea even what he looked like. Nothing. I like didn't, I don't really creep people's paint. Nothing. Yes. Yeah. And so I hear that and I'm like, that's a pretty rare name. And I hear him <laughs> speak and I knew he was Australian. Yep. And I was like, hmm.
1: That's got to be guy. The and there's guy. a
0: big cowboy hat. And so I get off the golf cart and I see my friend Alex and she knew that I had messaged him a few months ago and blah, blah, blah. And I look at her, and I was like, do you know? And she just started laughing, and she's like, yep, yeah, saw him earlier, was wondering when you'd run into him. Yeah. And so, yeah, then I went up to him, and I was like, hey, like, I messaged you a few months ago. If you have time while you're here, I don't know how long you're going to be, you know, hanging out here. Um. So, yeah, we ended up, it was kind of a fluke, like, he ended up being at the clinic, and then we were able to record. And it was awesome. He gave me a good interview, so. So cool. Yeah, it was really cool, so. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for chatting with me. This was fun. Of course. Thank you. Hello again. And thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Stable Connections, the podcast. For the first two years, I put out episodes every single Monday. Now they're going to come out kind of sporadically, sometimes every week, sometimes once a month. But if you listen to an episode and enjoy it, please leave a comment share it with your friends, share it on your story, or email info at goatlandia.org. And if you have the time, please leave a review on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Thank you so much, see you next time.